As Hannah Beth mentioned, we're in a series called Rainmakers, that we are not to be a people who settle, but press. And the question that's asked is, is what are the things that we as the church and we as Christians will settle for? Will we settle for the sound of revival? Right? We hear these messages, we've heard prophetic words, we've heard all of this. And is that the question I think maybe for many of us is, is that good enough for you? That somebody has told you about a revival? Or will you press until you see it? And will you stand in prayer and will you fight for it? Because the prophet came and he said, your job is to pray until it rains. And I think it's starting to trickle. But I'm not satisfied with a trickle. I'm ready for a downpour. And so Pastor Sean preached to us two weeks ago about will we be a people who settle for the judgment of God on our country and on our culture? Or will we press for mercy? Will we implore God to be merciful, to revive, and to save our nation? Can we find connection points with the people out there that they're not them, they can be us? Pastor Corey taught us last week about how can we learn to love our neighbor, love the city, love the other, love the outsider the way that the Father loves them. What does it look like for us to pray to have the Father's heart for our community? Not as something separate than us, but something intrinsically tied to who we are and what would happen if we loved them and prayed for them like they were already a part of us. And I think the most convicting thought for me is, you know, I think there's ownership each of us need to take in this. And I don't want to wait and watch for it. I want to I participate in it. And far be it from me to get on the other side of it and have missed it because I didn't do everything I was supposed to do or God was asking me to do. And far be it from you that you miss it because you just didn't do what God had asked you to do and we didn't press in prayer. We weren't long-suffering in prayer and in interceding on behalf of this nation. And so we're gonna make an adjustment. I think all of us need to make one and the adjustment is that, that what happens uh, in here needs to start happening out there. And that's the pivot that we're going to make. And Pastor Jim, in his message, he said one thing that challenged me really, really deeply. He said, will we settle for fire in our services and not press for rain in our community? Will we settle for fire worship? Will we settle for fire preaching? Will we settle for a fire moment of the presence of God here and be satisfied? Or will we press until we see what happens in here begin to happen out there. And what's crazy to me is we can all have the same experience in this room, in this night, or Sunday morning, or whenever it is, and we can go, man, that worship was crazy. It was so good. The presence of God was here. That transition, man, was hitting. It was incredible. I was so encouraged. That word, man, it broke me down and built me back up and put me all back together. And it's so good. And we can all say that service was ridiculous. God met us. And yet then we can also all leave from here the same and have nothing that happens here change anything out there. And you know that it's true because you've been just like me in this church, having a fire moment with God and walking out unwilling to let the Holy Spirit change my heart and to do in me what he has asked, what he has. That's why he does it in me so that I would do it out there. 
And so it was a hard thought for me because I love fire worship. <laughs> I love, I do, Darby, I love it. Pastor Tiff, Darian, thank you. I love it. I love, tell us, I love the preaching. Keep preaching. Don't, don't hold back. We're going to make this moment great. Our team works so hard to make this moment great. So it's not that I don't love fire preaching. I'm going to try to preach fire tonight. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to do my best to get this word down in your soul. But tonight is not an excessive I preach fire. It's not a success if we all fall out in worship. It's not a success if we go like, oh my gosh, I just feel so good in this place. I feel so encouraged. And tonight is a success if you are changed. If the spirit of God changes you and the changed you leaves this place and takes that change out into the places God has called you to be. That's a success for us. That's where we go like, God, you're doing the work that we know you are here to do. So this thought, when I heard it the first time, we're going to settle for fire in our services and not press for rain in our community. It really, really challenged me. And if you know me, when I'm challenged, I don't back down. Uh, you can ask my discipleship group this. Uh, five guys I'm walking with, I talk more trash than any of them. Because if you pose a challenge, your boy is not backing down. So I got these five feral body weaklings that I disciple. And um, I'm trying to help them learn a thing or two about God. A couple of them are in this room tonight, so we'll see if they start throwing stuff at me. <laughs> um, so I wanted to preach this word. I wanted to preach on this topic, and I wanted to wrestle and look at what God says about it and see where this truth is exemplified in Scripture and what we can learn. Uh, and just learn and see where in the Bible we hold intention, the fire of God falling in a place, and then the waters of revival or revitalization that must necessarily fo follow. And I discovered a handful of really powerful and profound truths. And so uh, tonight, tonight is a funny sermon because tonight is a sermon that I'm preaching that's actually going to start a new series. It's also the third message in a four-week series. So just keep coming to Wednesday nights and you'll figure out how that works later. But this message, which I'm going to call Fire and Water, is gonna, we're going to stay in this thought later in February. We're going to come back to it and spend some more time there because I feel like God has been speaking something to me and by extension then to all of us about what he's doing in our midst in this time. And he's calling us to do and to be something greater. And so we're going to stay in this thought. So this message is going to set that up. But here's the things before I get to my passage. I just want to set up two thoughts. I want you to hold intention for the rest of the night. There's two motifs I'm looking at, fire and water. And so when you think of fire, or if I talk about fire, what I want you to understand is that fire is a motif that often represents God's power or his presence. It usually offers um, revelation. It's often impressive. It often leaves you in awe. It usually draws attention to the glory of God in a space. It's usually there when God is asserting or reasserting his, him, himself as God Almighty. It's the fire of God. It's the power and the presence of God revealed to call attention to who he is and what he can do. You might think of the burning bush. You might think of the pillar of fire. You might even think of the tongues of fire. And what I have found in scripture is that moments of the fire of God falling in a place are often followed by the waters coming to revitalize a people. 
Water is the other motif I want to look at. Water often represents revitalization. It tends to be life-giving. It's restorative or it's redemptive. Water often even represents God's provision. You might think of the end of a drought. You might think of streams of living water. You might think of uh, the water flowing from a rock or even the waters of baptism. These are things that point to something being brought to new life or being restored or being remade or being washed clean and made new. And where there's fire in scripture, there's often water in scripture, which is to say that the fire of God's revelation is often intended to bring about the water of God's revitalization. So it's not wrong for us to have a fire service. The thing is this, we want fire for a purpose. We want fire for a reason. We want fire on mission. We don't want fire just to feel the burn, just to feel good in a moment. You know, you can't stand too close to the fire. Don't forget that. We want fire for a purpose. So I'm going to illustrate this in scripture and then give us four ways to pray as a people. All right. So would you stand with me for the reading of the word? We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter one. And we're going to read 12 verses. Ezekiel one, verse four through 14. This is Ezekiel. He's having a vision. As I looked... Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire as it were gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Verse 8 Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle. Stay with me. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. God bless the reading of your word. You can be seated. You did not expect that scripture tonight. I didn't either, but God is speaking something to us. So let me dodge the question and go here. There's two things in your life that always get you in a lot of trouble. Two things in your life always get you in a lot of trouble. Your expectations and your limitations. Expectations, you know, um, the expectations you place on a thing, expectations often are the greatest cause of offense or frustration go when you have an expectation and that expectation goes unmet. The problem is, of course, most of us don't know we have expectations about certain things, so we don't know that we need to express those expectations. Therefore, unexpressed expectations become unmet expectations and unmet expectations always lead us down to offense, frustration, and disappointment. Happens all the time in relationships, ask any married person. 
We come into marriage, into really any relationship, with an expectation of how things ought to be, should be, and will be. And we find out very quickly that might not be the way it goes. And if you've not expressed that expectation, you don't have a good chance of having that expectation met. So now we got to do some unwinding or we got to figure out where, where we missed the ball here on this one. Expectations get you in trouble all the time. Limitations get you in trouble a lot too. You might call this a limiting belief. Limiting belief is a thought you have about yourself that you think is true that stops you from doing certain things. I'm going to say it again because this will help some of you in your life. You might have a limiting belief, which is a thought you have about yourself that you believe to be true that stops you from doing certain things. You might say, I'm too young to lead this team. Or I'm too old to learn a new skill. You might say, I don't have enough time to get around to that. And so I can't even start it and I won't even try. And yet most of us know we all have the same amount of time in a day. And if other people can get it done, you can probably get it done. So it's not really about do we have enough time. It's about do we manage our time well. But that's a different message. That's the leadership talks with AJ. That's for another time. You might believe things about yourself that you think are true that stop you from doing things. You might say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough Christian to disciple somebody. I'm not a good enough worker to get a promotion. I'm not a good enough person for anybody to love me. So I'll just cut every relationship off at the start or maybe I won't even try to pursue one because I'm just going to get hurt in the end because nobody would love me because I'm not good enough to be loved and so I'm just not even going to try. We all have limiting beliefs. Things we believe about ourselves that we think are true that stop us from doing certain things. But here's the thing. When you set an expectation and it goes unmet, yeah, you get frustrated And you get disappointed. But when the expectation gets met, you feel happy and you fulfilled and you feel like things are good. But when you set a limitation, you cut off the ability for yourself to ever have that thing come true because you're stopping it at its source. So you can't see that fulfilled in your life because you're not allowing it to be fulfilled in your life. This is not just a leadership talk. This is not just a self-help talk. This is important. Because Ezekiel's context, why he has this vision, when he has this vision, and what this vision tells him and by extension teaches us is really important. Ezekiel's a young priest. He's about 30 years old. And the time that he is receiving this vision is after the first Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. Nation of Babylon comes in. They invade Jerusalem. They go into the temple, and they take a first wave of refugees with them out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, back to Babylon. First wave of exiles. Ezekiel is one of those exiles. He was taken out of his home nation into a foreign nation. And this book is now five years after Ezekiel has been taken out of his homeland, out from under the work of his God, out from under the land of his God, And placed in a foreign nation as a prisoner. And he's down by this irrigation canal. And he has this vision. This incredible, almost indescribable image of this throne that contains the glory of God. Rushing towards him in fire and lightning and smoke. And he looks up and he sees it. 
It's the mobile throne of God meeting his brother by a canal in Babylon. Now, you and I go like, all right, get to the point. What's the lesson for me? How do I figure that out? Okay, I don't know what this means. It sounds kind of weird, but, but okay, just get to it. But you can't put your cultural context on their cultural context. You see, God to them was limited to his place in the temple. He was limited to the inner, to the inner court, to the holy of holies. That was where the God of Israel was. They had placed a limitation on where God's presence could meet them. And so when God's presence appears to a people who are exiled, they've got to be asking, what is his presence doing here in Babylon? Aren't you supposed to be in the temple? How and why are you here? And what that tells me is that God is not confined by the limitations that you might be placing on him. You might think that he's unable to reach you where you're at, but you would be incorrect in that assumption. You might think he's not willing to reach you where you're at, and you would also be wrong about that one. You might think God is waiting for you to get to him, and you might just be incorrect about that as well. You might have placed a limitation on how far the presence of God can reach, and whether or not he would be willing to reach you. But God is not impressed, nor is he confined by the limitations that you place on him. The presence of God is not confined to a location and the power of God is not limited by your expectations. God will go where he needs to go. He will do what he needs to do and he will reveal himself to whom he wishes so that he can bring about his redemptive purposes. God is on a mission and your limitations are not going to stop that. So maybe we need to lift our limitations and expand our expectations. So so put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. He's out there in exile. This is vision, thunder, lightning, fire, crashing, throne of God, crazy figures all around, the glory of God coming. His every expectation is being redefined. His every understanding of who God is is redefined. But the question is why? Why is God showing up here? Why is God showing up now? Now, we know that God is not limited to where his presence is, but we also know that God does not operate without a purpose. God is not like my two-year-old who just busts into any room, picks up some things, throws some things down, smacks you, yells at you, and leaves. He's not random and very confusing. He might be a little confusing, but he's not like my little one. When God enters into a space, I can promise you it's for a reason. I can promise you he operates with purpose. And so what we understand from Ezekiel, then I'll get to us in a minute, is that the throne of God, the glory of God, the presence of God has left his own temple in Jerusalem because of Israel's own idolatry and injustice. In fact, Ezekiel has the second vision. I don't, we can't read all 47 chapters here, but he has this second vision of the temple in Jerusalem where the people of God are worshiping other idols right there in the temple courts. And so this throne of God lifts from the temple and heads towards Babylon. And you might wonder, why is God abandoning his temple? Why is God abandoning his people? Why is God leaving the place where God has authority? Doesn't God have authority in a place? Why is God leaving his place and abandoning his people? And I would just say, I don't think God is abandoning his people. I think God is joining his people in exile. 
I think God is going to where his people are. And you see, this is where our expectations and our limitations get us in trouble sometimes. Sometimes we see God on the move in other people's lives. And then we start thinking, God, you're not a move in my life. I see, God, I see you moving over there, but you're not moving with me. So God, you've departed from me. You've left me. You're not with me. And we start putting these expectations, these limitations on God that confine him to something much smaller than he is. But God is not confined to clean places and holy people. God is not confined to one location and one place in time and one purpose. God is bigger than all of that. And if you find yourself in exile, if you find yourself in a place where you go, God cannot meet me here, not in this family, not in this sin, not in this job. He can't get me here. All I'm trying to tell you is God is not afraid of your exile. God is not afraid of Babylon. God will go where he needs to go and do what he needs to do to get to you and if you are faithful and call upon him like you believe he's going to come there's nothing that's going to stop him from getting to you except for you the only thing that will stop God is you but if you desire him and you humble yourself and you're willing to lay a few things down I promise you, there's no place God can't reach you. He's not random. He comes in his presence for a purpose. And I just want you to know that that purpose is not to keep you the same. So we want the presence. Oh, do we want the presence? Until we get the presence. And Jesus tells us, you got to lay some things down. You got to stop some patterns. You got to break some mindsets. You got to pick up some disciplines. And you go, no, I just want to worship. <laughs> I don't want to do all that stuff. That stuff's hard. Just let me get back to the third song, Lord, please. <laughs> but the presence of God does not come to you to keep you the same. He comes to change you. And so whenever we encounter the manifest presence of God in a place, the fire of God in a service, the fire of God in a prayer meeting, the fire of God in your personal devotion life, we have to ask, God, why are you here? What are you doing and what must change? This is what the revelatory power and presence of God does when it comes in fire. It comes to change things. It comes to assert you are not God. I am. You are not in control. I am. You do not have the power. I have the power. I am in control. Remember who sits on the throne in heaven. And see me as such. And you'll see your whole world differently. God is not limited by your expectations or your prior experiences. He can come and meet you wherever you are. And when he does, his purpose is not just to meet you. It is to change you. And that change that he initiates you is not intended to stay with you. This was not a personal revelation for a personal purpose that was personal to Ezekiel. This was a call for a nation. This was a call for a people. Ezekiel had this encounter for a reason, and the reason was to take what God did in him back to his people that they might see, repent, and pursue him as their God. Likewise, when God reveals himself in presence and power here, It is not just for you. There is a purpose he is using you for that is beyond you. 
out there. And what happens here cannot stay here. It's got to come out of here, out there. In the places that God has called you. In the places that God has placed you. And this is the whole purpose of Ezekiel's encounter. This is the whole reason we have the mobile throne of God. This is the whole reason we have the fire of God coming. It's to change. It's to cause a change in the people of God that would eventually change the land. And so the whole book of Ezekiel shows us what God is doing in Babylon, why he's revealing himself to this prophet and what's going to change as a result. And he actually gives us a picture of it. So I have a second passage from Ezekiel that I want to read. Uh, And then I'm going to wrap up really quick with only four points. (laughs) They're fast, don't worry. Uh, You can turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. This is 46 chapters later after Ezekiel has in this initial vision from God. And what's happening before we read it, just so you know, because it's another, you know, kind of trippy passage here to wrap your head around and take to, to, to the Lord in prayer. Ezekiel is getting a tour of the rebuilt temple. So God's presence leaves the temple, consigns it to destruction. Ezekiel sees in his vision the temple destroyed. Now he sees the temple restored. And he's getting like a virtual tour with this uh, like spiritual tour guide who's taking him around the temple. And he sees, one of the first things he sees is that throne of God come back, the presence of God settle back into the rebuilt temple. And then this tour guide is taking him around the temple and he begins to see amazing things. This is Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. I asked Pastor Tellus, he said, we didn't have to stand, but we should all prepare our hearts to receive. So let's do that because scripture does have authority over our lives. And God says a lot in this prophetic passage here for each of us. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. Then he, he referring to this spiritual tour guide, for lack of better words. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from the temple, uh, was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits And then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and now it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, though this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where this water goes. And fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Enaglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, 
There will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fall, uh, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. Wow. Ezekiel has this profound encounter with God by an irrigation by an irrigation canal totally redefines his expectations of what the presence of God is and does. And after he has this encounter with the fire of God, he's ushered back to the temple where he sees a trickle of water. And the trickle continues and it grows deeper and deeper until it's a river. And that river collides with the Dead Sea. It flows east out of Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. And when it hits the Dead Sea, it turns the salty water of the Dead Sea into fresh water. And as a result, trees and plant life begin to spring up all around. Fish begin to live in the sea. Fishermen come to catch the fish. All these plants on the, around the sea are trees and bushes that are producing fruit. And the fruit is good for food. And the fruit is good for healing. And all of this happens because this water flows from the temple. Listen, God's presence is not restricted. It will meet you wherever. But we, the church, right here, in this moment, we are the temple of the living God. We are where God comes to dwell and to reside. We are the place where people come to have an encounter with him and to be changed by him. And when we have an encounter with the fire of the presence of our God in this space, you have to know that what starts in here needs to turn into a trickle out there. It cannot stay in the temple. It cannot stay in the temple. And not only do we need to know this. Listen, some of y'all came tonight and you knew this. You're waiting for me to get to the good preaching. You're going like, pick it up, man. I know all this. But here's the problem. So many Christians know so many things, and yet none of us are moved to do anything with the knowledge that we have. And so I'm done preaching. We're going to start. Wow, I am emotional today. Ah, the spirit of tears is in the room. We thank God for it. I feel like I'm done teaching, and we're going to begin praying. And so I don't have three thoughts. I don't have three points. I have four ways that we are going to pray. And when I'm going to talk about the point and then I'm going to start praying and you just start praying too. And then we'll move to the next one. We won't make it long. We're already past our time. Here's our four ways to pray. Four ways to pray so we don't settle into a people who just want fire for us, but not the reign of revival for them. Four ways to pray. Number one, we got to pray that the trickle would turn into a river. You see, what starts in the temple has to turn into a trickle. And what begins in this room, what begins in your personal life, in your devotional life, what starts with you cannot stay with you. By its very nature, it's got to begin to leak out of you because you can't encounter the presence of God and stay the same. He changes you. But the work that God does, the work that the Holy Spirit does is an inner work. It's inside of you. It's a heart work. It's a sin work. It's a reformation work. It's a resurrection work. That's an inner work and an unseen work. And where do you see the evidence of what happens inside, but through the actions that happen 
outside. The evidence of a healthy body will be seen on the outside of the body. The evidence of knowledge acquired is the ability to give that knowledge. So what happens externally must first begin internally. That where, that's where God works. So then it begins to leak out of you. And I'll just tell you that transformation, it usually starts small. You might only experience a trickle right now. Like you might only have Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Or maybe you just got the verse of the day and that's all you can get through. Or maybe you just got one friend that knows God and that's the only friend you got and you're here with them tonight and you're just holding on for dear life. And all I'm trying to say is you got a trickle and that's all you need to get started. That's all you need because the mightiest rivers start out as a trickle. I sent them an image. Let's, let's take a look. You know what that is? It looks like it rained too heavy in my backyard. And I took a picture of it is what it looks like, doesn't it? It looks like any of our just, you know, pouring, sopping rain and the water puddles up. But that is the source of the Zambezi River. Zambezi River is the fourth largest river in Africa. It crosses over six countries. Here's another picture of the Zambezi River. But it starts as a trickle. And look at what it turns into. Too many of us want to start like that. And we won't get going until our lives look like that. Go back. Go back to the other. That's what we look like. And we're not happy with that. And we don't want to show anybody that. And we want to just pretend that's not, you know, I was working on me and I'm figuring out what God. But, but what that turns into with a steady daily drip over days, over weeks, over months, over years, as long as the source is not you, as long as there's a greater source that fuels the trickle, that turns into, come on AV team, that turns into that. And the river of God, the power of God begins to flow through your life. And one day you look up and you go, oh, I look like that. I don't know when it happened or how it occurred, but there it is. Lord, give us little streams and little rivers that turn into mighty rushing waters. Make us a people who rush out of this place into the streets, that the little drips of today are not wasted, but they accrue and they accrue and they accrue and they come together and they collide and they pick up momentum and they pick up steam and they join with other waters and those waters join until what happens in this place is not a trickle, but a flood. Lord, give us the trickle. So that those living waters would collide with the Dead Sea. It's the second way we need to pray that we would see dead things come to life. See the water that flowed from the temple in Ezekiel's vision turned into a stream. That ran all the way down. Turned into a river that turned all the way down into the Dead Sea. And you should know this about the Dead Sea but just in case you don't. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because the salt, water con- salt content is so high. Nothing living. No- nothing can live in its waters. There's no life in the, in the waters. And yet we see the water from the temple flow down into this dead environment that is inhospitable to life. And it does not say that they blend together. 
does not say that the waters join up. It does not say that they get mixed up. It says that what was dead and salty now became fresh and hospitable to life. Do you understand the difference? We didn't have like kind of salty water. We had fresh water. It's a very big difference. Where we go as a church into the environments that we are called to go into, those salty environments, those dead environments, those environments where we go, there is no life and no God in this place. They are rejected against it. But when we step into that, we ought to change the environment, change the atmosphere and resurrect a dead thing with the power of the living water that flows through us. We change environments by our presence and the presence of God with us. That's who we need to be. So Lord, let us be a people who bring the presence of Jesus with us into every environment we step foot in. And even the places that we think are dead, inhospitable to salvation and faith. When we go there, would you go with us? Would we go to the places where we think the gospel doesn't reach there and realize we are the gospel, we carry it with us, and we make dead places place where life springs up? Would we allow the spirit of the living God to do what only the spirit of the living God can do? God, we pray we, see, we would see dead things around us come to life. Let it be done in Jesus' name. And then third, we need to pray that the fishermen would catch Because when the pond is full, it's time to fish. Once the waters turn fresh, the fish return. And it says once the fish return, who always shows up? Pastor Brett with his fishing rod. Every time, man. Darian with his fishing rod. Where there is a a pond that is stocked with fish, fishermen come. And I believe that we are in a current cultural climate That is the time for the spreading of nets. I believe in this environment, this one that we're in right now, the gospel is prepared to go further, faster than it has any time before that you've ever seen it. I believe wholeheartedly that you're going to see plenty of people that God has been and is pursuing who are ready to be captured by his love. Just somebody needs to throw a net. Somebody needs to throw a net. Annette, the fish are plentiful. Even in hostile environments, the fish are plentiful. And we're going to reach places that were previously inaccessible. Now there's going to be an open door. And I believe there's going to be a unique grace on your ability to evangelize, to invite people to church, and to share the gospel with them individually. I believe with every fiber of my being that there is going to be a grace on your life that you will encounter people asking questions about your faith, looking for answers that you need to be prepared to give an account for. The Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. Brother, we're in season. If you ain't been ready, you need to get ready. When's the last time you shared your testimony or wrote it down? I'm honest with you. When's the last time you could say the gospel in a couple sentences with somebody and not make it sound all weird and preachy and and hokey? Like when, when have you verbalized what God has done in your life to another person? Because that day is coming for you. Please do not let it pass by. And I just want to be really clear here. We're not praying for fishermen. We have the fishermen. 
Jesus said, if you come and follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. So don't sit there and pray for some evangelists to show up. Don't sit there and pray for the laborers. Oh, Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you would send us a couple, Lord, we would finally get to reach our community. Jesus said, I have made you a fisher of man. We're not praying for fishermen. We're praying for the catch. We're praying for the fish. So, Lord, would the fish be ready to be caught? Oh, it's a weird thing to pray. But, Lord, you know our heart. Would we be ready in this season to give an account of how good our God has been to us? Will we spread our nets without fear and without hesitation? Will we carry the spirit of God with us into every place that we go and be ready and be looking to reap a harvest? Lord, give us eyes to see where the spirit is at work. Lord, give us wisdom to discern what to do. Teach us, Lord, what to say in any given moment so that those that you are drawing to your kingdom will be caught and captured by your love and your grace and would receive salvation. Lastly, and real fast, we need to pray for fruit that would feed and would heal. Now along the banks of this river sprout up all kinds of trees and bushes. And on those trees, we can get keys. It'll help me close faster. Um, it's the playoff music if you guys didn't know. Key start, you need to wrap it up. On those trees is fresh fruit. It's renewed every month. And it's fruit that doesn't wither. It's fruit that doesn't rot. It's fruit that doesn't have those ugly brown spots that you see at Harris Teeter. I didn't mean to throw shade. I was just picking a grocery store, but that hit a spot for somebody. Wegman, sponsor me. Um, It's the good fruit. It's the good fruit. It's getting late, y'all. I'm getting tired. It's the good fruit. The fruit is good on the trees. It's good for food. It's good for healing. And why is the fruit good? The fruit is good because the water that feeds the trees flows from the temple. When you are supplied by the temple, which is to say when you are supplied by the presence of God, by the place of God in your life, when Jesus is the one supplying you, the fruit that comes off of your life is good. It's a good word. It's an in-season encouragement. It's wisdom and advice and direction to a coworker and a friend. It's food that brings nourishment. It's leaves that bring healing. It's prayer that sees pain and does not run away and say, oh, I hope they get okay. It says, I, I will be your shoulder to cry on. I will be your friend when you're in a dark place. I will rush in because I'm not going in my strength. I'm not going to be impressive. I'm not going chasing a testimony. I'm going because my life is fueled by the water that flows from the temple. And if I'm connected to the source of living water, what's produced in my life is good fruit. Is healing, is nourishment that feeds people's hunger for God's, that heals their soul of the pain that they've, that they've been through. Psalm 1, first three verses says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who was fed by the living waters of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. It's been prophesied over this church that we would be a tree of life for so many who will come and encounter the healing touch of God. And I want you to know you are a tree of life. And there is fruit on your life that people need. They need to be nourished by you, encouraged by you, loved by you. They need healing that we know only comes from the Father through the Son. And let me just wrap with this and then we'll pray. The city then, after the vision, after the fruit, a city is revitalized. All of Jerusalem is revitalized in Ezekiel's vision as a result of this water that flows out from the temple. It's a picture of the total restoration as a result of God's life-giving presence. He restores all things. He makes all things new. And the imagery here ties to the Garden of Eden and what it looks like for God to remind us of his original purpose, to fellowship and to dwell with us, that this place would be a redeemed place. And the final sentence of the book of Ezekiel says the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Lord, would our city, would our church, would our community be a place that is spoken of, that the Lord is there. The fire of your power and the fire of your presence that comes to burn away (laughs) idols and sin and wrong thought patterns with the fire of your presence that comes to assert your authority over all of the earth, cause us to be a people who bring the living water of Jesus into the world. For Father, he is the example we follow. He is the one who lived in eternal presence in heaven with the Father and with the Spirit, him as the Son. And he did not stay in your presence. He did not stay in the temple. He did not stay in the holy places. He came out of the holy place to step foot in a place where death and destruction reign, that he might be the bread of heaven, the living water, the living truth, that he might be the one thing that revitalizes everything. May his spirit be the presence that we are in Every day we're together. Would the spirit of Jesus Christ so utterly transform us that we would be a people that flow out of this place and bring healing and bring restoration and bring the gospel news of salvation to many who are far from you, Lord. Let us not stop your water from flowing. Let us not limit or hinder you with our lack of perspective or our lack of faith. Lord, would you do it? We believe that you are here and you are ministering in this moment. You are changing hearts and changing minds. You are calling us into something deeper. Lord, we say yes to you. We give you our amen. If you're calling us out, we say yes. Your word spoken over us has authority. We go where you send us. We will do what you have asked us to do. We will be who you have asked us to be because we intend to be a house that sees a revival in this place. Let it be done, Lord, we pray.
according to your will and for your purposes. Can you say amen and give God a great hand clap and a praise? You all the best. Love you guys.